Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Roth. Hello, friends, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow-up for Season 12, Episode 15, Javier's Full Interview. I, for one, am happy that Bob stumbled across this full interview, so we got to hear all of it. We have a lot to unpack this week, and we have a little bit of new West Memphis 3 news that we'll get into. I'm back in studio with the COVID-less Bob Ruff, Mm -hmm. and joining us via Zoom, Miss Janet Varney. Great. Also COVID-less as far as I know. Perfect. So right after this break, we're going to dive into all your questions. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer. You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that he did it. But now shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates. And that's why they asked me to come in because I'm special. From something else, the Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right. We have a lot to talk about today. Uh, We're going to start by bringing up some the the new West Memphis 3 news, which Janet is still unaware of, actually. We refused to tell her about it during the Patreon hour before this. I want to throw a shout out to listener Christina Cribbs, who's been, she's helped with some of the research. Um, She actually helped, I believe, was on the team that helped select our case this, uh, this season. And um, she works for an innocence organization. She's a veteran post-conviction attorney. And she reached out to me earlier, late last week, and said, you know, she's been studying the Arkansas law and believes she found something that can help. (gasps) And then uh, yesterday, which was Tuesday, uh, I got on the phone with her and she broke everything down for me, which if you're on social media, you saw Damien immediately (laughs) blasted it out on on social media. But what she found, uh, based on her, her interpretation, and now I've since then I've consulted with like four other post conviction attorneys who all seem to agree, the Arkansas law very clearly doesn't need to be changed because it already has provisions for people to uh, do DNA testing through habeas when they're not in custody. And and this stuff, if you look on social media, I had posted it in the fan group uh, after Damien and shared it, but. Um, in the habeas statute, if you go to and you can actually just type this into Google, Arkansas 16-12-103A, um, that is the, the, the part of the habeas statute that says the three circumstances in which you're entitled to habeas, it, meaning not, not that you're entitled to have it granted, but you're entitled to your day in court for habeas. Number one is uh, and I'm paraphrasing these but essentially basically if you're in prison and you and you say you shouldn't be uh number 2 is if you are locked up 
and you believe you should have had bail, but you haven't. And then the third one, and this is the big thing, the word or seems to be what was missed because it says, you know, again, if you're in prison or if you're supposed to have bail or if you are alleging that you were actually innocent of the crime in very clear language or if you are alleging actual innocence of the crime, the or means it is not. And this is, again, I'm not an attorney, so know this, but this is what has been told to me by multiple post-conviction attorneys now that we brought this up. It means that it is no that that provision is not dependent upon the previous two qualifications. So it doesn't say you have to be in prison and alleging actual innocence. Right. It says you have to be in prison or you're alleging your actual innocence, which is exactly what Damien is doing. And then it says if you are in the category where you're alleging actual innocence, then you need to go to – and I don't have this one written down, but uh, this other law for how to do that, yeah. which that statute is the exact statute that was filed under, which is the new DNA testing law based on new technology that's out there, So, which is exactly what Damien did. So that's thing one. That in the law, it already says that you don't have to be in custody, but instead just have to be alleging actual innocence, which is what Damien is doing. So that's huge. But there's more. In her uh, written order, if you've read it, uh, the judge cites two cases for case law where someone was denied DNA testing because they weren't in custody. One of them is Curtis V. Hobbs, not that Hobbs. Uh, a different Hobbs, and I and the other one I didn't write down here. But in both of those cases, according to the attorneys that have looked that have looked at this, they are not at all relevant to Damien's case because in both cases, yes, they were not in custody, and that's why it was denied. But in neither case were they claiming actual innocence. In their cases, they were claiming like constitutional issues, unfair trial. So in their case, because they don't have the or alleging actual innocence, then they're stuck with the other two prerequisites, which mean that you have to be in custody, which they weren't. So the fact that they were denied, but they weren't alleging actual innocence means they're not relevant. And again, I want want to keep saying I'm not a lawyer, so this is just what I'm told. They're not relevant to Damien's case and shouldn't have been included in the order whatsoever. And there's more. There's another provision, uh, it is 16.112.111 within the habeas statute uh, that's titled Order to Produce produce Petitioner. And in that section, it lays out the exact procedure for getting someone to their day in court when they're not in the state's custody. So – If someone is trying to argue that the intention of this law was that you must be in custody in order to file for habeas, then there would be absolutely no purpose whatsoever to have a provision in the law that lays out the procedure to go to a habeas hearing when you're not in custody. That's key. Uh, Yeah. So so these three things like stack up on top of each other. And it seems very clear. Now, I'll say that I've talked to um, Brett from the Prosecutors Podcast. Reached out to me yesterday, and I talked to him a little bit about an email. He sees things differently. But, uh, he, like, when, when I was emailing with him, he couldn't articulate to me. You know, I, I said, well, this is what they're saying. Boom, 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 boom. Yeah. And he's saying, well, but you're you're misreading that. If I understood what he was telling me, that I was misreading that, that, that no, you have to meet the first condition and be alleging actual innocence. 
And what I just keep coming back to is it doesn't say and, it says or. I have a theory about that. Disconnects it. Go ahead. I have a theory that that and I'm not saying this is right. I'm saying this is still dead wrong. Even if you're or, just arguing over like grammar and punctuation, I wonder if she thought she could make the argument that the first part is what has to be true, which is that you're detained without lawful authority, and then the or is like so you have to be detained. And then the two things that can come after you have to be detained is you can either be detained when you're entitled to bail or you can be detained and you're alleging actual innocence or something like that. She's that she could say that the or belongs to the grouping. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, it's this and they're blah, blah, blah or blah, blah, blah. But as though it's they're saying there's one. Here's the main thing. And then here are the two things that could go below. However. That freaking comma cannot be there. If you have a comma, right. that means there are three separate things. If you want to pull that yep. comma out from before the or, then you have two things that could exist underneath that first thing. But that provision right. that you said afterwards where they're creating a scenario in which they're like, and now here are the instructions for if you're not in custody, that blows right. that out of the water anyway. So I don't know how Brett could yeah. think that, but... Yeah, I, I don't know. And I'm again, they're attorneys, so the, but but I'm very comfortable with um, um, Christina is a veteran post-conviction attorney. Um, I, I don't want to uh, disclose her organization she works for, but it's an innocence organization, and she's been uh, with them for over a decade. She's a senior attorney. Um, I've had, again, other post-conviction attorneys to look at, including Damien's attorneys. Um, I don't know exactly, but, but what she, she recommended is that a motion for reconsideration should be apply or should be filed back with this judge pointing out that we essentially, if my understanding is right, what it would read is that the, the, your order is a misinterpretation of the law yeah. and this is what the law actually says. Yeah. Um, so we'll see. I actually have a meeting with um, one of Damien's attorneys this afternoon, so I'll see uh, where we're going with that. But um, yeah, I was, I was telling Zach earlier that I was... <laughs> I sent the stuff to Damien and sent it to his attorney after I talked to Christina. And then before I could blink, Damien had already put it out on all the social media. So it was all out there because I wasn't going to yeah. share it. Until and it and was. as soon as Damien did it, I did it as well. So I'm guilty of that. I as did well. too. At that point, the, the cat was already out of the bag. So yeah. it's right. not, and I think it's a good thing because it gives us another, it puts more, you know, you want, you want Brett and other attorneys to see where the argument comes from on the other side of it. Oh, you know sure. I mean, it kind you of definitely pre- need that. It kind of prepares you to know, um, and you know, for all I know, he could be right. But I, you know, for for me not being a lawyer, the way I read it, just in terms of English, it seems very clear to me. Yeah. Uh, and then the fact that other post conviction attorneys, which you know, Brett is not a post conviction attorney; he's a prosecutor. Um, he disagrees, but the fact that the way I see it written in English, and the the fact that um. Uh, the post-conviction attorneys that have looked at it agree with it. Um, like Christina said, it seemed very, very obvious to me. There's nowhere in that law that says that you have to be in custody. And so then the argument becomes, well, but habeas means, but it's defined as being in custody, but that doesn't work. You can't just say like, well, it's a generally accepted term because there are dozens and dozens of cases ar- around the country where people have done DNA testing and have been granted habeas relief after their sentence was served. Um, there's a couple cases where some other listeners had shared case law, um, 
were in Arkansas where somebody was denied uh, DNA testing when they weren't in custody, but there was none of them fit the same standards as Damien's case. There was one that where it's like identity was an issue where the person had pled guilty. So then the next thing is, well, they pled guilty. But the thing is, you have to understand the judge didn't rule in the rule in, in her order. She did not rule that the testing is denied because they pled guilty, which means going up to an appeals court, that's not an issue that gets to be looked at now. They can't add new issues to it as it goes up through the appeal. So the state's locked into the way I understand it. The state is locked into the arguments they've already made, which don't allege that. The judge is locked into the in, into the order she's already made, which doesn't allege that. So the, you know, the next appellate court above that can't just like – my understanding is they can't just bring in a whole new argument and say, well, we're denying it because of a different reason that no one has raised. Mm-hmm. Right, right. That's interesting. Oh, I think this was a huge fine by It Christine. seems huge. I mean it, it it seems huge and I think it's it, it really brings a lot of hope to myself and I, and I feel like a lot of the supporters that are seeing it right now, I mean this is a big move and I, I think we can really push this. The way that I hope it shakes out is that – the judge, um, is it Tanya Alexander? Yeah. The judge's name. My hope is that the judge denies the motion for reconsideration. Which I know it sounds we'll kind almost of, like uh, will almost surely happen because that's what always it happens. Seems, it seems unlikely, mm-hmm. that, especially this, because if she were to grant a motion for reconsideration based on this, that would literally be her saying, oh, I didn't understand I was the wrong. law. Me now bad. I do. Yeah. 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 I don't She'll see never that do happening. That. Maybe it does. But I kind of hope that she denies it. Because then it will go up to an appellate court, and then I hope that an appellate court, whether it be Court of Appeals or the Arkansas Supreme Court, will look at it and and hopefully make a ruling in our favor. And at that point, now it becomes a precedent for anyone else. So, so like this, this question will never be able to come up again for someone else because there, there will be solid appellate case law where a judge ruled no. If they're alleging actual innocence, even after their sentence, then they can do DNA testing. Um, yeah. So that would be a better case. Even though it takes a little longer or it could be a lot longer, I think it would be a better case scenario for us if it gets uh, decided by an appellate court above Judge Alexander. And, you know, the YouTube chat is dead on as usual with, you know, comments like, Jim, I'm sure we all agree. She just says, what is so hard about just doing what's right? You know, and Bernie yeah. saying, why did the judiciary not want justice for those little kids? Um, you know, Bernie's mentioning the Alfred plea being too muddy with respect to this, like, well, they pled guilty. Therefore, they're not entitled to X, Y, Z. You know, we've talked about that so much on this podcast and others about the Alfred plea being this, like, very double-edged sword or, you know, it's a very mixed blessing because it allowed for this certain thing to happen that gets people out of prison. But now it's like the only thing that you can lean on. And it still means yeah. that a bunch of your rights are not afforded to you, even though you're claiming innocence. It's a mess. Yeah, it's, it's a mess. It's absolutely disgusting. The links they'll go to continue to try to hide the truth. I mean, and they, they continue to try to protect the people that came before them, which I don't think needs to be done. I mean, I, I think no. we all see the fault. There's no reason to continue to protect these people. We need somebody needs to step up and be a hero. And that's really what we need at this point. Right. I did. Some people did some research. I, I should have. My phone's not in here because I had screenshot it. Um, cause I'll, I'll put it on social media later um, with um, the, the people that are running for particular races. Uh, we did find out that the judge is up for reelection mm-hmm. and is running unopposed. So there's no nothing that can be done there. Um but what we really need to do is some research into the DAs because, again, a district attorney, the right district attorney can change all of this. Because, again, like 
like you said, Zach, this is not unreasonable. We're not saying, hey, we need a district attorney who's going to overturn this conviction. Not what we're asking. We need a district attorney that says, hey, here's some technology that wasn't available back then. We have evidence that's still viable that hasn't been tested yet. Let's test that and let's see if we can get an answer. And then we'll figure out where to go next. Yeah. You know, that to me, that seems like incredibly reasonable for anybody it's whose job is to seek the truth. Reasonable. Mm-hmm. It's incredibly reasonable. Yeah. And as we've stated many times, and I, I say this over and over to listeners, but we talk about it. If, if the state wants to fight and say that they believe that the three are guilty, then they should let us test it. Right. Because it's only going to prove their, fa- their the case for them. Right. If the, and like I said before, it's kind of common sense. So the person that you are all again, you know, I'm not going to even dig into it again. But the people that have no ambiguity whatsoever, 100%, Damian, Jason, and Jesse did this. I'm I'm 100% positive. They don't want the testing to be done, mm-hmm. and yet Damian is mm-hmm. the one fighting with everything he has to get the testing done. Like it doesn't, and then like you can see those again. It's the same bullshit. You know, they were. They got, you know, they argued against the testing. They got pretty quiet before the ruling. Then the ruling comes down and then they come out of the woodwork again. Like, ha, ah, he's yeah. a, he's a child killer and blah, 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 blah. And now this came out yesterday and I already watched the sentiment shift. Like, oh, no, no, no. We found in this law and this case law says this. And they like, what, like you, what, what are you so afraid of? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cognitive dissonance. It, that's just cognitive dissonance. Yeah. That's like you're doubling down on a thing, but the, but, but you're saying two different things. And they don't fit together. Right. And it doesn't matter because you are locked into a mindset that doesn't allow for any room for you to be wrong or allow for any possibility of anything other than you what you've already decided. And so it doesn't matter to people that it doesn't literally doesn't make sense. Like sense doesn't matter anymore. Once you're in that mind yeah. space, it doesn't matter. And that's what's frustrating for you and frustrating for many of us is that we think, well, if I just you apply basic logic to this conversation, surely that will win out. And the answer is what we've learned time and again is it doesn't matter with 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 certain right. people. It just doesn't matter. And that's why you have to let it go, because it doesn't matter. You can you know, the only thing that it matters is what the judges say, because the judges are the ones who are making the decisions about whether or not somebody can actually be you know, can, can go through this process and also a prosecutor who just says, let's do this. But. And, and, and speaking of all this, you know, I want to throw this out. I'm a little torn. So I want to ask, there's both people on YouTube and I'll be looking at social media on Friday afterwards. Um, I had agreed months ago, back in January, somebody came to me and said, Hey, would you be interested in doing or willing to do this, a round table discussion about the West Memphis three case? Um, you know, you represent the the supporters, and then we'll have a group of nons. Like, and we're talking like Gary Meese and William Ramsey and and Lisa O'Brien, who'd been on our show before. Um, and then I think on the not on the supporter side, they got George Jarrett and the captain or uh, uh, Nick from True Crime Garage to come on. And it, this, the, the scheduling just keeps getting bounced around and pushed back and pushed back and pushed back. I've kind of just got fed up with it because that's been since January. Now they're talking about this fall, and then I thought yesterday. I don't like what's not going to change half those people. Yeah. Half of those people are, I see coming through my Twitter feed all the time because people are tagging me into, into arguments with them. I'm like, they're not going to like, listen, this is going to be a complete. So, so part of me is like, I'm not wasting my time, energy and breath on these people. And then part of me is like, Oh, but if I do that, then, then, then people will be like, Oh, like you're too afraid to go on and, and, and argue your case. But which my case is pretty simple to argue. Just test the evidence. 
Test it. That's my entire argument. Well, Let's then I think out. then I think that's what I think that's the answer. I think the answer is your <laughs> your participation is this pre-recorded video of you going test the evidence. I'm done. Yeah. Like yeah. What you were so busy. There's so much going on. No, th- there's no nothing is going to get resolved by freaking roundtable. It's not going to happen. This all of the information is already out there. This is not new. There's not a new case. It's not there's nothing new. If it were something that was brand new that everybody was trying to tease apart and figure out and find their point of view on, I would say it's worth your time. I I just feel like we're so far past that now. That moment was a dot in the distance. Well, yeah. what I, what I ask both of you is what does that round table accomplish? Yeah. It and it's not and somebody in the in the chat um made a really good point. Uh Bernie I think it says, Bernie Flowers says, don't give them the airtime. And it just occurred to me that they all just talk amongst themselves and argue mm-hmm. with themselves all day. And w- what they're doing, I think, by bringing in me and Nick and George is trying to. It legitimizes as, it, as if it makes it, any it, sense tr- at all. They're trying to draw in an audience because their audience, they have nothing. They have no audience. There's, there's, there's what, 50 people that, that agree with them in the world. Uh, but they're going to bring my audience and Nick's audience and George's audience. To, Great point. To hear what they're say, saying, mm. and and I think that comment right there to me is uh, is enough. For me. I think I'm I'm going to tell them, and, and unless I get overwhelming uh, feedback the other way, that it's just not worth it because that's all they're going to do. I've yeah. had you, you guys all heard Lisa O'Brien on the show. They just they 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 mutter the same untruths and the same nonsense over and over and over again, and refuse to listen to any kind of reason. And my my position is very simple. I don't know who did it. Let's test it and find out. Right. And so, yeah, I'll just, like you said, I'll just give them that. That's it. I'm going to. That's it. Everyone in the chat agrees. Everyone in the chat is like, nope, let's move on. Great. Uh, Zach, did you have anything else on this? We do not along on that. All right. Then um, the interview, I know Janet for sure. There were, I gave you the list of questions. I know people put in questions later, but I have to get those questions to Janet by Tuesday night. Um, So some of the stuff came in later, but there were a few things that weren't asked by listeners that, um, that you wanted to talk about and I think need to be talked about. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first thing I want to say about this is um, I thought this was a really, really valuable interview. If for no other reason, then um, it really once again reminded me in such a profound way that Becky was a teenager. She didn't deserve what happened to her. Her parents did not to have, you know, her stepfather, her um, mom, nobody deserved what happened to them. And it's absolutely awful. And it's so hard that we are in a position where we have access to this really personal stuff. And I don't know if H- Javi is, you know, dead on about all of it. It's quite possible that there are things in there that are true or untrue for various reasons. But it for me, this interview really reminded me of who the victim is. And it, and it, it just made me it just broke my heart. I just felt so Sorry for Becky. And I and I know that that's, you know, we're our job isn't just to feel sorry for the victim, of course. But if if this is about finding justice and making sure that justice is either done in the first place or wasn't done and needs to be undone, um, this really kind of lit a different sort of fire under me, which was like this, like, God damn it, this girl did not deserve this. And she didn't deserve right. to have people like us have to talk about whether she was, fr- frankly, pregnant or not. Like, that's so personal and so intimate. And it's 
those things are, are could be key in what happened with this case. But at the same time, I just want to really respect the fact that if this had happened to me, to know a bunch of strangers were talking about whether I had miscarried or not is heartbreaking. So I don't want to make anyone feel bad. We're all in this together. But that really hit home for me with all of the stuff that Javi was mm-hmm. talking about. He talked about it her so openly. He talked about his feelings about her. We're listening to this policeman grill him about whether or not he's gay. I mean, this shit was tough. It was a tough listen for me. It was also jam-packed full of information that we all have questions about. Certainly one of them for me was, you know, finding this thing kind of buried in there that's like, wow, wait, what? Okay, that's very dramatic. That's a dramatic thing to say. It doesn't entirely make sense to me the way he described what happened. Um, You know, there's heavy stuff in here, and we'll get more into the heavy stuff about Becky uh, soon enough. But that that's kind of the stuff that really resonated for me. Sorry, again, diatribe. Uh, Zach, what do you think? I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. And honestly, there was a part that I caught as well. And it, I saw listeners questions about it. But it was like, when they were discussing like Becky's self harm. I mean, there's, it's it's hard to hear. Yeah, it's hard to hear. And it's not really relevant to what we're, you know, so it's it's hard to learn that about her. And you know, you, you wish for her and you care for her. What what I find hard, and I and I agree with everything you're you're both saying, that, but unfortunately, that's part of you know what we have to do. It's part of the victimology. It's part of understanding. And you know, like I said, we're we're always looking for that needle in the haystack, right? Is there something there? Yeah. And my kind of feeling from this, I like I said, I I, I don't see Javier really as a suspect. I don't either. But the but the interview was super. I can't tell something's off to me. I can't tell if he's, if she's telling him stuff that may or may not be true. Right. Or if he's exaggerating stuff. I don't know. I don't know what, so like the pregnancy thing is something that I think that we need to talk about because there have been people in our fan groups that have said, well, that's, that's motive. That, that could be motive. I have a hard time seeing how it is motive. If it's something that happened nine months earlier, right. You know, 10 months earlier. Um, but we have neither Claire or Janelle say anything about it. Javier wasn't really friends with her at that time. So any information he has about it would have come months later in the summer. Right. And so then it's – so like I, I and I don't know. the Like so it, it could have been exactly what happened. It's pretty confusing the way he breaks it down that I think he said that Robert knew – about the pregnancy. They were together. He said they were together. He he said she felt, and this is all hearsay upon hearsay upon hearsay. He said that she felt that he was only with her because she had told him that she was pregnant. Then they broke up. I think at one point it sounded like he said that they broke up because she finally told him she wasn't pregnant. But then... From his perspective, she still was, from Javi's point of view, she still was pregnant, even though she told Robert she wasn't. And then in a period of time after they had already broken up, she did miscarry. Um, And that was all very confusing to me, which Robert never knew. So we don't know. So I guess the idea would be that Becky told him she was pregnant and actually was pregnant, then decided that she wanted to tell him she was lying about that, but remained pregnant and then lost the baby. After she and Robert had already broken up, yeah. and then never told Robert very, anything about that from there, it was it was it was convoluted. It was convoluted and conf- and confusing, and that and I don't and again I don't know what that means, you know, because then you have her be- best friend Claire, 
tells police, oh, they broke up because she smoked and Robert didn't like that. They have Robert saying they broke up because she cheated on me. And then Javier says, oh, there was this whole pregnancy thing that happened that nobody else had talked about. And then as he's talking about it again, it, like it's like, like he knew he didn't know. And then she was and she wasn't. I don't. But I don't know if that was – we also – when it gets back into digging into the intimate details of her life. But we have – you know, her two friends both had said that she tends to stretch the truth and lie and be a bit dramatic. So it's was like, right. did she make up the story and it never happened? Is Javier making it up? Or did it happen exactly like that and she just didn't share it with her friends? Um, it's, I don't think – I don't just, feel like Javier was making – my sense – and again, I am so – I'm probably so gullible and I'm so trusting of people. My sense of him was not that he was savvy enough to come up with anything intentionally deceitful. I felt like I could see him in a situation where he's trying to be overly helpful and he's maybe – um, enthusiastically filling in the gaps uh, in what he assumes to be true. Say exactly that. Yeah, yeah, right, buddy. Yeah, like so that there's a mm-hmm. sense of and and also I think for me a takeaway was like he adored this girl. I have no idea what his feelings were for her. Um, I have no idea if you know if if frankly if a cop I didn't know who was making me feel like a suspect asked me if I was quote unquote homosexual, the last thing I would be interested in is outing myself to him if I wasn't out or whatever. Like that just bothered right. me so very much. Although, um, I can't stand this cop. It, it bothered me so much. It bothered me so, so much. Because even the way he said it made it sound disdainful. Like, the whole context of that seemed like it was gay shaming to me. So that's a whole other conversation. But he adored yeah. her. And she, and, and and if, again, I'm coming from, like, my memory as a teenage girl, if she knew that he adored her, she wanted to put her best face to him. Because when someone cares about you and sees you, you know, in a very positive light and is there for you, you don't want to jeopardize that. And so you may tell stories about your life that put you in a light that looks good. Um, and so it's hard to know what, you know, he says she would tell me anything. I thought, well, gosh, if there's one thing we find out about people when they pass, especially unexpectedly, is that we all show different sides of ourselves to different people, depending on what our connection right. with is, depending on how they, we want them to see us, depending on how we see ourselves. So this idea of like someone in her life would have known everything, um, that's a very naive point of view. Not, you know, and I don't mean any disrespect by that, but it, I think it is. Yeah, no, I I agree, and I and the the my best takeaway was that's probably something she told him. The details in the way she told him probably didn't quite add up in his mind, and he's trying to make sense of it when he's telling the officer. Well, I think I think you're spot on. I think it's the teenage mind trying yeah. to fill the gaps. Yeah, I mean, think about the age group we're dealing with here. I mean, you're you're trying to be more mature than you really are. You're, you're trying to help as much as possible, and you're just trying to fill in any gaps that you are unaware of without even realizing you're doing it. Mm-hmm. I mean, how many times we talk about false memories yeah. through all the cases we deal with where somebody thinks of something and they all of a sudden that becomes true no matter what it right. is. So, I mean, that's maybe that's all Javier is doing here is he's just filling in the gaps and he's created these false memories and he thinks he's being yeah. honest with it. Yeah, I, I, I honestly didn't hear anything in his interview that made me think that he's lying or that he seems guilty there were some weird things though to me like and i don't i didn't see a question about this i'll bring it up now but did you notice like at the beginning he says oh i just i took the ride up there just because that's not that's normal for me i just like to drive up there and that's just what i do and then later in the interview he says he was planning to go to her house and she wanted him to go to the house and then at the last minute she said never mind don't come to the house right Mm -hmm. um that that shift and it was like he 
and that could be completely innocent. And he's like, right. you know, I don't want him to know that I was supposed to be there, but I was supposed to be there. Or, but it was like it was it was like inconsistency that jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. But then the other thing that I don't know what that means, but the other thing that got me thinking was Robert said she told him there's going to be another guy there, hmm. and now according to Javier, we find out that he was supposed to be there, and then she changed her and she told him not to come. So, the, so it may be in the grander scheme of things that we're starting to figure out what actually happened, how Robert says he talked to her. She says there's going to be another guy there. I think he said in his first interview that he didn't think it was a good idea and she got emotional about that. Uh, and then they, 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 you know, they, they, they got off the phone. He didn't talk to her again after that. Could it be that after that, then it was like, and I got to look at the record to see when she talked to who, that she would say, hey, don't come. Because Robert had told her he didn't like the idea there was another guy going to be there. Mm-hmm. And that's why she said, don't come. Well, and Javi mentions that. He says that he didn't he didn't hear of the other person, the, the Marine that was supposed to yeah. be there. He knew that Robert was supposed to be there and possibly Christian. Right. But then when they brought up the fact that there was a Marine there, Javi says, I don't know anything about that. But he seems to know everything else about it. So, right. I mean, that seems reads pretty true to me. Yeah. It, oh, there was something yeah. about it. But it, it was just weird to me that. He didn't say, I went up there and was planning on going on the hike, but then she told me not to come. Mm-hmm. But he starts yeah. off with, and this is the second time we've heard him say it, that he starts off with, oh, I was just going up there to go for a drive. Right. Right. So that was, that no, was I, think, I think, there, there I think some... you're right. I think you're right. I mean, there's definitely a question about that. I would just add to that, too. If we're talking about um, the sort of overall uh, perspective of, of somebody wanting to see their ex and still having feelings for them, and this goes both ways. I mean... It sounds like if that story is true, which it sounds very likely that it is, that, you know, they ran into Robert's mom and that sort of and then, you know, Becky said something about kind of still caring about him. And then mom took that back to Robert and Robert was like, I really want to call her. This is stirring up feelings for me, but I also have a girlfriend like that's all very messy, but very, very normal teenage stuff. And so he calls her and then maybe he feels weird about it. And then he kind of wants to see her. But the fact that Christian was part of this picture at all, that's already problematic for if if one or the other of them wants like kind of alone time. It already seems like the addition of Christian is a safety net is like, well, we're not going to like mess around because my friend Christian is coming. It's not a romantic right. height between two people. This third party is already going to be there. So I don't know what that says about the addition of yet another person maybe being there or whatever. But you already have a dynamic that's very different than, oh, Becky and Robert are going to go on a a hike together in the evening and the sunset together alone. You know, that sounds like that's not what was going to happen. So no matter who wanted what, you know. Right. And then then you have two from if if you believe it all, their story was. You know, it's everybody has different perspectives on on what was going to happen that night. I think, and from like Robert and Christian's perspective, they were never going on the hike. Like, like, like they, you know, that, that they had said maybe, but they never really wanted to. The fact that they're going to the church and they call the church, so they're you know, it's seven o'clock. They're supposed to be going to church. That they're hoping starts at seven thirty and goes till how long does mass last? An hour? I don't know. I'm not Catholic. Um. So it seems like their their plan was to do something else other than that. Um, I, I don't know. We should we should, I guess we we should get out of some of these questions. But it was yeah. just, the whole thing was just really. I don't know. It was. I don't it know was if it's very yeah. strange. I don't know if it made me feel like and we had more information. I I sort of feel a little still very muddled about that. But I I hear what you're saying. Uh, the other thing I I didn't see come through was um this sort of 
like implication that the cop makes that Jacob told him that they were still together and is sort of challenging Javi on that. Like, well, why would your cousin tell me that they were still together? And I don't know if that's a police tactic of some kind for some reason to get Javi to say something different or whatever, or if that's based in reality. And he had spoken to Jacob and Jacob did say they were still together. But that whole chunk was very curious to me. And I would love to know what you two think and what the YouTube chat thinks. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Yeah, well, we're, we're going to have Jacob's interview coming up soon, not in, in the next couple of weeks. So okay. we'll get into some of that. But the cop was using that tactic a lot. Like, right. you know, he says, you know, why would someone say that they saw your car up right. in the area that night? Which no that's kind of read technique, mm-hmm. isn't it? Aren't you supposed to say, like, if I told you we kind got of, your DNA on the site, what would be your excuse for that? They're supposed to be, yeah, they're, 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 they try to be careful not to say, you know, they'll say, like, why would your fingerprints be found at right. the scene? Even right. though they know they don't have your fingerprints right. at the scene, just trying to scare you into. But the, the Jacob well, thing I, is weird to me because it's not about Javi. It's about, like, I, I don't know. But, I, I mean, I hear what you're saying. I, it makes sense. But The thing I thought about, and, and I know there's listener questions, so we can get to those, but is is they talk about Javi's cousin having an investigator. Like, he says, I gave this to my cousin's investigator. That seemed really strange to me. Yeah, and I think there are questions about yeah. that, so we'll get into those. Um, but one, one other thing that I, I, I need to go back and look at the phone records but from it just occurred to me that from memory, you you also have Javi saying that he was sitting right next to her, hearing Robert talk to her when uh, he called her at one thirty in the morning on that that Thursday. But if I remember correctly, and I have to go back to the case documents to look, she was like talking to Javier on the phone both before and after that. Like I just remember when I heard that it was it was clicking to me. Mm, it just came back to me, so I need to go back and look. But it's like. If if she was talking to him on the phone before and after that, then they they weren't together, right? So how was he sitting next to her mm-hmm. and and heard that conversation go down? Yeah. Plus, it would have went down with you know when she's dating his cousin. I don't know. There's th- there was a lot of inconsistencies that I don't necessarily indicate guilt. I think they in, in, they they indicate some discomfort in the situation. I also found it weird that I don't think anybody mentioned up that when he says, "Well, who do you think could be ruled out?" Did you notice he immediately says. Well, my cousin Jacob, you could rule him out right away. Yeah, That's but wouldn't you say that? that? I, I mean, you of. don't. You know that the boyfriend's going to be a suspect. So, I mean, you would say that whether or not you knew you had guilty knowledge of something or not. You, of course, you're going to protect it, it, it the person be. that was it could be. dating her. Yeah, it could be. It just you know, it's it just something that jumped out at me because like I, I guess the response I expect if you don't if you don't know what happened is be like, I don't know, I don't I, I don't know what happened. How can I tell you who you can rule right. out? You know, that that's that's how to but again, that's just me saying what I would do. 
I, so, I'm sure know, if I had someone I care deeply about who I thought might be a suspect, I would not. I, I absolutely feel I would say like, well, I know you can rule out this person that I trust and would never want you to look at. <laughs> Um, right, right. You know, but anyway, uh, okay. Uh, let's get into these. I think you're right, Zach. I, I, we don't want to uh, gloss over all these great listener questions, and we can. I'm sure there will be more that comes up from off of those. So let's start with Betsy Pruitt, who says, "Not a question, but can I say I hope I don't have to hear that detective again? I felt like he made no effort to relate to anything. The young man speak his language, so to say, um, and expected him to answer questions like a highly educated adult." We've already kind of talked about how we all have some discomfort around. Yeah, this his guy's approach. interview techniques are really. Ir- it's like, like, like you had said, like he. There's some shaming in there. There's gay shaming and slut shaming and just every every possible thing that you can think that he's doing. But at the same time, he's not asking quite like. There's always a follow up question where I'm like, oh, ask this, and then he never does. He instead he asks some nonsense. Yeah. Um. <laughs> also, just there were certain this always happens, but there were certain questions where I was like, why do you care who hung up first? Like, it feels like there's a lot more stuff. You're going to have the phone records. You're the, He's showing you his phone with all of the phone record on it. And you're going to get right. there's going to be a gotcha moment with who hung up first. Who cares? Anyway, that yeah, was a weird really, like, yeah. why are you harping really on that? Who hung who hung up first? Uh, yeah. Um, Amanda says, I feel as if Javier had an answer for everything. There was never an I don't know answer. Do you feel this is indicative of poor interviewing techniques that forced him to come up with answers he potentially didn't know? I love that insight, by the way. Or is this something we should consider as suspicious on Javi's end or both? The shoe detail was weird to me. Even if it was uh, even if it was the only shoe she wore, it's still strange to say that she was wearing them that night. Yeah, that's so a great. I got the paragraph. impression. Yeah, it's 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 good. And. There's, of course, poor interview techniques, I think. But I also think there's Javier is, whether it's him trying to be helpful or I get the the feeling like he's he's really trying to sell the idea of how close he and Becky are. And that doesn't mean not make me feel make me feel suspicious about him. I think that's, you know, he's a teenager. There's I think that I think it speaks to their relationship, maybe where he's, you know, he just wants to. Everybody to know how close they are yeah. and how how intimately close they are, and and he, he's always taking the opportunity to say that. But but I think that that along with nervousness and the interview techniques is why yeah he's he feels as though in order to help I got to give you an answer for everything. And some of it's just straight wrong, you know, like the shoes. You know, she's she's got these black etnies she wears, or uh, what were they white etnies? I think he said that that she wears. And those are the only shoes she had. There were those and some track shoes, and that's all she had. But in fact, she was wearing white globes. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. black etnies in her car, so there's mm-hmm. there's two pairs of shoes that, that that weren't the ones that he said were her only shoes. Right. Uh, and again, that does that doesn't mean look, we caught him in a lie. But it's just like he's trying to provide information and trying to demonstrate how intimately close he is and how well he knows her. Right. When in fact it's 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 not quite as close as it, in reality. Like, like he didn't know she had two other pairs of shoes she apparently wears regularly, or that she was wearing right. that day. Those shoes she was wearing weren't new. You could tell they're worn. She wears them. Um, that yeah, I don't I don't know what that means, but that, but that's definitely. I did notice that that he never says I don't know ever. Well, it's interesting too because that that kind of is shown by when he says, well, her, her her mom would have been there and John would have been there. And to me, it did feel like, well, he's answering the question that the police officer is asking. Like, he does want to be helpful. Right. He does feel like he needs to have answers for anything. And then when he says yeah. that, he's like, well, now hold on. 
I need to know what you really know, not what you think would be true, which fair point. Like, of course, you shouldn't assume this, this and this. But it kind of felt like up to that point that he was relying on Javier to be the person who knows everything and would like be the best expert to say what was most likely going on or most likely true. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway. Uh, okay. Uh, Tracy says, I think it is a very minute detail, but it struck me odd when Javi said she took a shower and put her jeans and shoes on. How did he know she was wearing jeans? This goes to the same kind of thing we were talking about with Amanda. Um, I can see her telling him she got dressed, but I know I rarely told someone exactly what I was dressed in unless I was going out with my girlfriends and we wanted to see what each other were wearing. Was this interview well after the fact and was it known she had jeans on? Great questions. It was a week later. So, yeah, it could have been known uh, because he said he finally says that his dad did give him a bunch of information. Mm-hmm. About the crime scene. So, yeah, I'm thinking probably that came from that. I don't – who knows? I mean, again, you know, we're, we're trying to decide what she might have said or not said. It would seem really odd to me. I always I, – I think I pointed this out a while back that the fact that he says she had put her pants on and her shoes on, like was she dictating every move she's making over the phone? That's right. weird. But maybe she's like, oh, I'm just putting on a pair of jeans and he's got a great memory. I don't know. Also, like if, yeah, if people are on the phone together that much all the time, then that could be the kind of relationship where, you know, you're just talking about mundane details because you sort of want to be in each other's company in your in each other's ear, right. even if you're not in, in person. That is kind of sometimes when you just like are. Yeah. It's like, what are you talking about? I don't know what I'm putting on. Uh, you know, I think it's, it's hard to know yeah. if it's one thing or another. Um, Mm -hmm. but it is, but I think it is really interesting. Um, Jack says, uh, and that's like short for Jacqueline, I think, um, Javier stated Becky had a past eating disorder, two suicide attempts and prior incidents of self-harm. Did any of her other friends mention this or is it documented anywhere else? Very key question. Again, the vulnerability of knowledge that we have of this poor girl. So much of that is so common with teenage girls and my heart just goes out to her. But yeah, is there, do we have that coming from anywhere else? I haven't seen it from anywhere else yet. You know, the, we've seen the interviews with Janelle and with Claire. It's not mentioned there. Um, I, I, I don't know. And again, it comes down to there, there's there's like three possibilities for any one of these weird details that we don't know, especially the very personal stuff that we don't have any way to actually know. And it's either that's the truth and she told Javi that. That's not the truth. But and she, she told, told Javi, Javi that. that. Or she didn't tell. It's not the truth and she didn't tell Javi that and Javi's making up this detail. Right. And I don't know which it is. Yeah. But it, it could be any one of those three. Okay. But did is, you know that was coming? Did you know that before? Because you found that interview. Was this new, brand new to you, Bob? Yeah, I hadn't heard that before. What I had heard was that that Javi had said, and this is what I had heard. I still haven't seen it in the report yet, but I know it was like later in the trial that she was deathly afraid of fire, that she had been burned as a young child and she was deathly afraid of fire. So I was surprised to hear him say, yeah, she burns herself. It's a running joke we have that she burns herself every day. Yeah. I was like, well, that's not what I had heard before that you know because what I, what I had heard was was how terrified of fire she was right yeah and bonnie points out in the chat that you know we did have that awkward moment with uh was it janelle who said you know i he, she might have she could for all i know she could have done this and he was like is this something she would consider doing and that she would say she might have thought about it um that sort mm-hmm. of weird thread where it was like wait are you saying that becky could have committed suicide and killed her parents like what are we talking about here um well, or that could have I been an curious. accident or you know that kind of thing as we hear about the self-harm and, and it's super sad to hear about 
But is, is does that add to any risk factor going forward? I mean, with an outside intruder or anything? I mean, I don't really feel like it's super irrelevant. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think it is. And again, by the way, I mean, I, I still don't – getting outside of these interviews and looking at the crime scene, I still don't see Becky as the target personally. Yeah. So a lot of this could be real. I mean, we have to – yeah, you know, we have to look underneath underneath every one of these rocks, but it doesn't necessarily mean there's anything under there that that's going to be useful. I mean, I think this would be a great question for Scott and Shiloh, for example, where I think, um, especially to your point, Zach, out of respect for what is and isn't relevant, um, especially with vulnerable stuff like this, is it does it speak to victimology in the sense that if these factors are present, does it say anything about putting yourself in other potentially harmful situations or um, being in the company of people who aren't treating you properly because you have a low self-esteem issue, not because you should, but because that's the part of you that's, you know, hurting. Um, That's kind of where I went with it was just sort of thinking along the lines of is she again, speaking from some personal experience as well. If you are in that place in your life, do you also make reckless choices um, again, could not be further from victim blaming at all. But are you in a place where you are not taking care of yourself the way you deserve to? And it's so, again, so common with teenagers. Is there something there? Can you extrapolate or, you know what I mean? But that is very much a question right. for a professional. Um, so that's kind of where my head is with it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I want to point out too, Valeria and chat uh, mentioned another weird thing that Javier said was that uh, he said that Becky was terrified of the dark. And that was another one of those. Like I said, the, my overall takeaway from this interview was that that Javier is 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 trying. I I I kind of feel like, and this is just a, a feeling. So so don't you know take that for what it's worth. That in life, Javier wanted and was always trying to be the closest and most important thing in Becky's life. And I and and I and I say that because I feel like that's what he's doing with with this officer, and I don't think it's because he killed her. I think it's it's just something that is very important to him. He lost someone yeah. very close to him, and yeah. and he's just oh that's he's just he he I I be, I, be, I will say this I believe him when he says I love her so much. Yes, I believe that. Yes, and I believe that that's what we're. Some of what we're seeing again is just my gut feeling is that he's just trying to give very intimate details to prove maybe even to himself that he was the closest, most important person in her life. I think that's a really I think that is a very compassionate and probably very, very accurate interpretation, in my opinion. Rebecca did mention um, off of, of Jacqueline of off of Jack's question you know, that the, the, again, the continuation of sort of Claire, um, did anybody else back any of this up? And it could be that he was the only one who felt like it just sort of came out when it wasn't relevant and everyone else in her life would be like, well, that's not relevant. It's private. So I'm never going to bring that up. End of story. Right. You know what I mean? Um, Carrie says, this is also not really a question, but I feel, I find it interesting that Javi had Becky's MySpace password. Um, that, that little section was very interesting, um, especially, you know, that he that he then reached out to Jacob with it and who then, I guess, reached out to presumably the other detective working on this case who was in touch with Jacob about stuff. Does that seem like a correct interpretation of that conversation? I don't know. I thought it was super weird. If I tracked it, it was that I had her MySpace. 
I got on and logged on and then immediately saying, but I didn't delete or change anything, but I just got on, the, but I got on to it. And then it was just like, I don't know, seemed weird to me to have that password. I Maybe it's not weird. I don't know. For me, I wouldn't be giving my friends my MySpace mm-hmm. password. But then the fact that he logged on to it before he like gave the information to the police and then the whole, yeah, I I don't know. Again, like so much of this interview, it's just I walked away just going, "What? Like what? Mm. What is going on here?" Well, and he the part that gets me is he says he gave it to his cousin's investigator. Yeah, I don't understand that. I still don't understand that. And I, I wonder if he means that. So, and I know I know that questions. I, I so we're just going to go ahead and answer it now. People have asked, like, because there was like they said Corey Donovan, his friend had an investigator, and Jacob had an investigator. Yeah, I know Amber mentioned uh, that in the questions. Yeah, yeah, and um. So Corey's dad's a cop. I don't know about it. I feel like Jacob had some connection to law enforcement too. I'm not sure about that. But yeah, I, I took that as that they had hired PIs, no. which is super weird. No, that's I don't think I that's I don't think but, that's what he's saying at all. I think he's saying af- because, after this because the cop knew who it was. The cop this yeah, this after, cop goes, Oh, David, blah, blah, blah. Like he I think when he says investigator, he doesn't mean a private investigator the way we think of it. He thinks of it as you're my investigator. On this case that right. I've been point with, and that guy is Jacob's investigator, and I didn't have your investigator information, so I had to give it okay. to Jacob to give to his investigator information. Like, That's what I think. You're right. That it, makes a whole lot more sense because I, I was thinking a, a PI as well. Yeah, and I hadn't thought about that either. To like literally, as we're having this conversation about the MySpace thing, that yeah, that I, I think you're right, Janet. That they that the, the investigator is the the detective that's talking to him. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Liberty says, do we have any information, access records for Becky's banking or money situation? Any verification of how she was paying for everything she was allegedly paying for per hobbies interview? It seems a stretch that a Denny's income would be enough for all of that. So I, I, I haven't seen anything and it may it may be in there. I found bank records for John and and uh, Becky. I talked about a couple months ago when we were looking through those where we could see that check coming in from Ron and we could see the mortgage payment and so on. Um but that, yeah, that was definitely the thing that, that could be real. Again, if the information he's given is accurate, it was, it was like, so she works two nights a week is her entire income. And she pays for her own gas, car payment, her sister's cell phone, her cell phone, all these bills. And, and, and that's where I wanted the officer like, okay, this is relevant. Let's dig into this a little bit. Where is she coming up with the money to do all that? I mean, I've never been to Denny's after one in the morning, but I can't imagine it's super busy and they make a lot of money during that time. Maybe I'm wrong about that, uh, that graveyard shift. Um, but well, I he mentioned that it's like, often dead, and that's why she has time to text mm-hmm. and talk. Right. Uh, side note, don't let me forget that he also said, I never call Denny's, have never called Denny's. Yeah, I have that um, on my questions too. But That's another, again, inconsistency. That I found strange, but yeah, so it's like so I'm piecing this together. But again, we don't know what's all true and what he's saying, whether he's making stuff up or she made stuff up to him, or if it is just true, it's hard to know. But if her only income is what she makes in two nights a week at Denny's, and she's paying all these bills, and and she's the one that always buys the pot, she goes out and and, and does stuff. It's it's like where else is she coming up with money? Then you mm-hmm. have. You know, the supposed gang, you know, go back to stuff we already heard that there's supposed gang members that won't leave her alone that are calling her, you know, the, the, a lot of talk about she's the one that gets the, that, that gets the pot. Like, 
What, and, and the cop says, was she dealing? And then Javier answers that question really He doesn't weird, even right? – I don't even think the cop asks that. I listen, when I listen to oh, the no, interview yeah, twice, right. he just, he, there, it's in the context of buying pot maybe. And then all of a sudden Javier's like, I mean, if you're asking it. me if she's buying and selling, I don't think so. But I don't think the cop ever asked that. Yeah, yeah you're right. I she, agree, yeah. Yeah, he, he kind of volunteered it. But, it, it. but didn't he – if you listen to it – I listened to it a couple times too, but it was way before you guys heard it. Because he said something like, oh, I don't think she was buying and selling – but then, but then, didn't he say something like, "I don't know if she was dealing"? Yeah, there was like, a, there was like he he's said, sort he of said stumbling like around that. And then said dealing. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's sort of stumbling around that. When I listened to it, I got the impression it's like he seems really like maybe that maybe that's another risk factor. Maybe she was dealing pot, you know, or it was a go between. I've never been in that kind of world, but I, I'm, I'm assuming that there's like people that have like lots of pot that like give it to other people to distribute it. That are dealer. Stop shaking your head. <laughs> I lived a very sheltered life. Uh, <laughs> those, <laughs> Zach's laughing at me. <laughs> Zach, when you were in high school, who'd you buy your pot from? Don't say his name. <laughs> yeah, let's not go there. But you know, there's you know, what I mean, like, like low level dealers that would yeah. be like probably kids at the high school and stuff that are you know that are distributing it as as. I, I don't know. It just could be another risk factor. I didn't like the way Javier answered the question, or, or, or like you said, it wasn't a question. Created he volunteered a question it, when there wasn't over one. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, got seemed to get really uncomfortable with it. So it seems like maybe there's more there that we're we're unaware of. Which, but again, um, to your point from a few minutes ago, like if we zoom all the way out from this, the idea that she very possibly wasn't the target at all. It's just like one of those like. Yeah, right. you know, we're do, we're working with what we have and all of this may not matter because she may not have been the target. Right. Um, Olivia yeah. says, was Becky's car ever checked to validate Javi's statement that her brakes didn't work? And Teresa uh, has a similar comment just about, you know, if if the brakes don't work and Javi's worried about that, why does Becky drive past work all the way to Javi's with bad brakes? So, yeah, here's another weird thing. Like, there's so many weird things with the way he tells these stories. So. So he goes to her house and he's driving her to work because he doesn't want her to drive the two or three miles with bad brakes. But to get to his house, she would have to drive past work to get there. Also, Saturday night is the night she went over to Christian's house at some point. And they, they weren't sure about it, but it had to be like after 630. So the times don't line up, but the times not lining up don't bother me. But then he drives her to work because he doesn't want her driving on bad brakes. But then in the morning, it's cool for her to take her car to go over to Claire's which is over by Denny's. And then it's also fine for her to drive up the switchback mountains all the way up to her house. None of that is an issue, but she couldn't drive. It's it. it that was just another one where it was like, honestly, my gut reaction, if I didn't know other elements of this case was he's like lying. Like, this is not true. It doesn't, that makes zero sense mm-hmm. that it's super important for you to drive her because of her brakes, but you don't have any problem with her driving up the mountain she literally drove her car further with the bad brakes to get to your house so that you could then drive her to work. Yeah. It doesn't it, it doesn't add up. But again, I don't know what what it means and again, it, that's why I keep going back to he's trying to it seems to me he's trying to make himself the most important person in her life. Whether again, trying to convince himself of that, trying to convince the officer or the world in general right. of that. Right. And that's something I think that Dr. Shiloh and Dr. Scott could maybe like speak to like that mentality because I don't – I'm not educated in that. Like I'm just going off of what I see. Like this is weird like for some reason. But I feel like I've seen it before too, especially after someone was dead. Mm-hmm. It, just real quick anecdotally, we had a firefighter die in a car accident 
uh, years ago when I was on the fire department. And I still remember there was a guy that was, that was one of our full-time staff that couldn't stand this guy. It drove him nuts when he was around. Then he dies in the car accident. And then it came time to like plan the funeral. And all of a sudden it was like, he was his best friend and everything. He was telling stories about him and he was his best buddy. And, and he's just so, and it was like, he was, it, for us that knew were like this was so fake like you couldn't stand him like you're, you're trying to get attention you're trying to get I don't know what the reason you're doing all this is but we all know that you did not like him and now you're pretending like he was your best friend I'm not saying that Javier didn't like right, him pretending right. but yeah, it's like yeah. but there's a mentality there that's like I need you to know mm-hmm. that this is that, that this is an important thing mm-hmm. this is very important that's a real Shiloh me. Scott thing because they talk a lot about I feel like they've even kind of addressed that like putting yourself in the frame um, after a tragedy is something that that is very, very normal and very common, whether mm-hmm. or not it makes sense that there's a sense of yeah. like, I just but I had but I just talked to him. We like we've all because we're all the center of our own universes, like it or not, like we're very right. solipsistic mm-hmm. creatures. So uh, and sometimes that gets inflated to the point where it becomes like performative for other people, whether people realize mm-hmm. they're doing it or not. Um, real quick, I just want to point out and shout out. Um, uh, 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 I just saw you, Rena, uh, that th- he mentioned that she might have money from that car accident that someone t-boned her and um she had three thousand dollars potentially from that which like everything else with he says that was one of my main notes too is like i found it kind of adorable how teenagers and maybe i shouldn't make that generalization but that he was like oh no 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 that happened a really really long time ago like maybe like a month or two ago (laughs) you're like oh honey that's that's real recent. That could be really yeah, relevant. Yeah. Like if you if she's talking about a guy she was dating who was a terrible person and that was only two months ago, that might be important. But right. Well, and I took it at the other way, too, is I took it as he was talking about this large sum of money she got when three thousand mm-hmm. dollars really isn't a large sum of money. Right. Which but it is if you're a teenager. Yeah. If, if you're a teenager, ah, but if, you're, if yeah. you're blowing through things pretty quickly, three thousand dollars. I tell you what, when I was 19, if you gave me three grand. I would be making it rain. But how long How long would you make three grand last is what I'm getting at. Oh, I'd spend it all immediately. That's what I'm saying. Is, <laughs> it's not this huge lump of money that right. that he kind of like, oh, she had money because she got in this car accident and uh-huh. got $3,000 two months ago. And I don't even know if that's accurate, to, like, just like everything else. I just, I'm just not saying it's not. I just haven't seen the verification of well and it goes to that whole the whole conversation about you know him feeling like he needs to have an answer for everything and just like mining his memory for potentially mining his memory for like how can i be helpful uh maybe it was this uh you know yeah something something just just clicked in my mind that i I know it's circling way back with the whole pregnancy thing i also want to point out it wasn't brought up at trial at all the whole pregnancy that's good to know which the state was very much trying to find anything because it was such a weak case to tie to Robert, which is another reason I forgot. There was another reason why I think I don't know that that even happened. Interesting, um, because the state didn't use that uh, on the stand, and we and I and I want us to right now why we're why we're I've already derailed us for a minute. I mentioned it and said, "Don't let me forget." Him saying he never called Denny's, like that did that did that perk anyone else's interest? Yeah, I, I mean it definitely did, uh, but I don't know. What that means? Does it does it means he's never called looking for? Her? Does he never called to talk to her because he only calls her cell phone? Oh yeah, Valeria earlier in the it... chat. Yeah, Valeria earlier in the chat said he said he didn't call her to talk to her at work, and that, that, that potentially I think what Valeria is saying is that it doesn't need to be suspicious that he called looking for her because he hadn't heard from her. That would be very different than his 
interpretation of the question, which was like, would you just call and talk to her at work while she was there on a regular basis? See, the way I took the the question was, was him very clearly saying, did you ever call her work? Did you ever call Denny's? Because they were talked about him talking to her while she was at work on her cell phone and blah, 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 blah. And yeah, that happened. They were dead. They were slow sometimes. And he said, did you ever call Denny's? And he said, no, which I found was really strange because he's remembering all these details about that night where, you know, I was at the corner of Fred Waring and Bob Hope Drive when I made Mm -hmm. this call and this and all these details. And I was like, when he said, did you ever call Denny's? Did you ever call there? And he said, no, I didn't know. Nobody ever did that. I was expecting to hear him be like, I called that night because I didn't get a hold of her. Certainly would have been a good time for him. Yeah, certainly would have been a good time for him to have said, well, by the way, that does make me think of the fact that when you look on my records, you'll see I did call. But in the moment, if you're just thinking, he's thinking about talking to her overnight. In my opinion, this is where I'm putting myself as in his shoes. He's thinking about talking to her overnight, talking to her all these nights. And the cop's like, well, did you call Denny's? And he's like, no, I never called Denny's. Not being that he'd never called, but like, in the premise of like, no, we would talk, but I would never call Denny's. Yeah. I would call her cell phone. Yeah. Yeah. I have, to, I have to listen to it again. Because the other thing that got – so for me, just trying to piece what is useful information out of there. Because uh, when we're done with this, I'll tell you the, kind of a, just a just a feeling I get about all this. But it was like so, – so it's not normal for him to call Denny's, to call the place. So maybe he does sometime, but he says no. It's not normal for him to do that. Nobody does that. He does the night she gets killed. But it's not like he wasn't able to get a hold of her. Look at the records. He called her. He made one call that didn't connect. One. And look at their record back and forth. Like normally his routine then would be to call again, to call again, to call again, to call again, to call again. So he makes one call that doesn't connect. And then an hour later, instead of sending her a text or trying to call her or trying to do anything else, immediately jumps to calling Denny's. I don't know what that means, but it's like. There was it, it's very very out of pattern for him, and then for him to tell a cop, no, I never called Denny's. So it's certainly not part of his normal routine that if he can't get a hold of her, he calls the store or calls the restaurant. Hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. But he did that hmm. night. That's interesting. That's a really good point. Um, that's a really good point. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, Caroline says, can we confirm if there was camera footage showing Javi uh, that he was in the area at the time when he said he was driving around? The officer, of course, mentioned that and said, will we find you? And that went back and forth for a really long time. But will I see you on there? Well, you should. But will I, though? <laughs> well, you should. I was there. Right. But will I, though? <laughs> like, OK, we get it. I guess if it was off, you he wouldn't seems, have. It wasn't off. He so seems are, super know? credible and he's like really not like I, I just don't see an opportunity for him to suddenly be like, you're right. I was never there. You got me, buddy. You're right. I've volunteered I, all this information, but you nailed me on that one. Like, yeah. Right. And I don't know that I don't know that they ever checked that camera or even if there was a camera. Uh, I'm sure there probably was a camera. I, I don't know. Another thing I keep things keep popping my mind and I, I know I keep derailing things as we're thinking back through this. The other thing I want to do, and somebody might want to do, and uh, that's listening, they can then post about it if I don't get to it, is that one thing I wondered was the time 
you know, the, this whole time I was, I remember thinking when I was going through Becky's phone records, when did she have time to take a shower and do makeup and get dressed? Because she's always on the damn phone. Hmm. And then Javier says, hey, you know, she took a shower, got dressed. So I, I'm just, I want to see if, is there a gap in there of, you know, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes. I don't know how long it takes her to take a sh- shower and get dressed before the phone stops at 737 to get that done. Because it'd just be another way that we can verify somewhat like of what Javier is saying. Like, mm-hmm. If there's never two minutes when she's not on the phone, then she probably didn't take a shower and get dressed and get ready and put her makeup on before she talked to him at six, seven o'clock or whatever time she talked to him. Yeah. So just something, and I'm not saying she did, it's something that we need to double check. No, that kind of timeline thing I know is a huge task, but it's so helpful to sort of fit slot in different people's like in different colors. Like Javi says this was happening at this time. We know the right. fact of the phone records show this. Claire said this was right. happening at this time. Filling all that in and seeing having a visual representation. I know Zach and I are both very visual people and have said before, yeah. like, ooh, that helps put it in perspective. So maybe that will be something that we can build up over time. Yeah. And it could be ambiguous. It could be, well, there's a 16 minute gap and then everybody will be having a conversation about how long it takes to, it takes to have a shower. Um, so that's not super useful. But if it's like, there was never more than two minutes, then it it seemed to be she probably didn't go take a shower until after she stopped using the phone, which helps us because then that gives us an idea of maybe what she was doing after the phone record stopped. But we'll see. Uh, Also, I want to point out somebody in chat said, how would Javier have known Denny's number uh, the night that he called? We'll see. (laughs) And I may not be a young person, but you know, back in my day, there used to be something called a phone book that we all used all the time. It looks like Valeria just posted there was an 18 minute gap. An 18 minute. That's a good. Mm-hmm. That's a good gap. That works for me. But so the, okay, well, so, and, and again, this, that's right. That's right. Exactly what I said. The mm-hmm. ambiguous part where who knows how long it could be from and 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 Valeria. Hopefully, that's from the end of one conversation to the start of the next one. Um. Is 18 minutes enough for her to take a shower? He said she took a shower, did her makeup, and got dressed. 100% um, enough for me. Enough for I'm a slob, but I can put makeup yeah. on super fast. Um, My makeup takes me very little time. Yeah. Well, it shows. Uh, and by the way, Sarah popped in and said she would even sometimes shower while on the phone. Girl, I've been there. Harder with a home phone. But I've been there. Um, okay. Her follow-up uh, comment says she's not proud of not that. Not proud of that. Yeah. Be proud. Own it. I love it. Uh, Kelly says, other than the cell phone pings, do we have any evidence that he was where he said he was? Uh, just because his phone pinged somewhere doesn't mean that he was with it. Yeah. I guess the credibility of, I mean, obviously, they seem to have eliminated him as a suspect. As you said, if he was with his phone, he's alibied. Not sure what's in the case records to show, like, the actual checking of all of that. But Yeah. I We, we have to, we, we can only assume this point you know we, we know where his phone was and what his phone was doing it's you know it, it's a pretty it's really something to say that to, to go so complex to be like i have enough foresight that i'm going to give you my phone i need you to go make some calls to some of my friends so it looks like i'm somewhere else yeah. i don't think that again I, he just seems so guileless to me even the stuff that is doesn't hit right is so to me it seems so clear that it's there's something off about it that it's just not sophisticated if it even the yeah. stuff that we're like, hmm, this doesn't fit right. Um, Teresa says, did Javi see Austin at Denny's that night? Speaking of the argument or him, you know, raising a ruckus, uh, the way that he explained it to Teresa sounded like perhaps he was there. 
I'll get to that in just a second. I just want to point out, I, I love that we do the YouTube live because people are literally answering in real time our questions. Uh, Teresa Dunn also, was, I think who just asked this question, is on the YouTube live looking at the phone records. It says from 532 to 556, there was also a gap in the phone uh, records, which is what's that, 20? As far as we minutes. know, unless she was making calls, we don't know about, which could be also the case. Oh, right. Because of the whole. Yeah. Because of the whole. She was making calls that don't show up. Thing. Yeah. But from the records we have, it looks like there was about an 18 minute gap and about a 24 minute gap when that stuff could have happened. As far as. So uh, this is what I was talking about when I saw people who like watch 48 hours and they're like, Robert went down to Denny's and got into a big co- a physical confrontation. I'd be drug away. I told you it wasn't Robert. Yeah. It was Austin Elba, which right. is what Javier just described, who was his cousin Jacob's roommate. That's who had the confrontation. It had nothing to do with Robert at all. I don't know because it was. It was a little weird the way he, again, just like everything else where it was, if I remember, he was like, I was there, I was picking her up and this happened. I don't know if he saw it happen. I'm not sure. I think it goes back to just him trying to build importance for himself. Uh Uh-huh. Honestly. Yeah. I I just didn't understand if he was saying that he saw it happen or if he just heard about it happening. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Fair enough. Uh, Teresa also says there are upcoming information about Robert and Becky's communication, either text or in phone or in person, that corroborates that they were in contact off and on during this eight month period. And also anything about the blocked slash private calls that Javi said were Robert calling Becky and hanging up. Again, that's another thing that's like that's so that's so hearsay upon hearsay upon hearsay. Like she says she got calls. They were from a private number. So she didn't know who they were from, and that person never said anything, but she knew it was Robert, and she told Javi that it must be Robert, and then Robert, and then Javi said right. he would definitely call her from a private number and not say anything and then hang up, and it was definitely like, oh, that's, you know, it's, I'm sure it felt yeah. important to say, and of course, if it's true and, and, and provable, that's something, but like, that was a real sort of like pieces from far away <laughs> that you can't really do anything yeah. with. Yeah, as far as the phone record goes, phone records go. No, we only have them. the The longest one we have back is to the beginning of the month. So we only had a couple weeks worth of records, so we have no records from any contact that would have happened over the summertime. Yeah, and then the the private number. I don't recall seeing that. I have to look at the records again. I don't recall seeing any private number come through on her phone before on the day of when when Robert called her at one thirty in the morning. And again, there's also the weird thing. I need to uh, look back through the calls with. Um, Javier that day because I just I, I is it for some reason it's sticking in my mind and I don't know if those records are available for anybody in the chat if they can look at them from that night when I broke all that down but I think I only broke down Robert's calls but it seemed like she was talking to Javier on the phone that night so it, it's another thing I just I just don't think he was sitting there with her when that conversation happened right like he said he was I'm sure someone's uh checking that out right now um while that happens uh tara says javi's pretty clear he did not know robert canceled the hike until robert told javi that the next day does robert say when and how he told becky he wasn't coming out or did he just ghost her talked about that in the past okay so this is this gets because people are like i'm 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 defending them. i'm just telling you what they say we're going to hear christian's interview or hear the details of christian's interview this week in the in the main episode um but robert in his original interview he doesn't he doesn't say specifically that he told her I'm not coming. He, I think he says that he says, I just don't think this is a good idea. And he says she got emotional about it. Um, we know from other interviews and from Christian's interview, what you're going to hear was essentially that they had the conversation and said, oh, we're not doing that. We're not going up there. So they, they, from what they've said, they never said to her, no, we're not coming. But they had no intention of going like they were ghosting her. But then there is the weird thing with Robert's interview where he says that uh, I just didn't think it was a good idea. She didn't like that. She got emotional, which made it sound like he did tell her 
he wasn't going. I don't know. There's there's so much he said, she said, and all this. And that's why, like, some of these details like, I go back to, like, what I'm looking for is how can we connect a dot somewhere? And the fact that Javier says, I was, she wanted me to go on the hike with her. That's why I was driving up there. And then suddenly says, no, don't come. I don't think he said, I don't think he said that she said she wanted him to go on the hike. I think he said that she said, there's time between now and when Robert and Christian will come over. Um, do you want to come by? Because you're, you say you're driving anyway. Do you want to yeah. come by and hang out with me? And then was like, oh, but there might be some overlap with Robert. Again, Christian drops off of this from t- periodically and is like not mentioned. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that's like, it probably just means that. The most important thing to her was and and to Javi was that Robert was going to be there, whether or not Christian. But did did I think that it's like, oh, there might not be that much time. And if you come and you barely just got there and then he shows up, then it might be weird. And like, maybe just don't come because maybe we're trying to sandwich too much in in this little sliver of time. But I correct me if I'm wrong, Chad. I don't think she said come on the hike. Yeah. Yeah. I'll have to listen again to that because I don't think I remember saying come on the hike, but I definitely had the impression that they wanted or that that he was going to be there regardless of the hike. And then she said, don't come. I don't know. I have to go back and listen to all, to all those details, but it's just, again, if Becky thought he was going to be there and then she meant, and Robert saying, she told him there's going to be another guy here. Like it's just, and, and maybe I'm too desperately trying to connect dots, but it's like, there's something that fits together. I, I don't if, know. If they knew each, Robert and Javi knew each other. And one of the most, one of the most troubling things to me about Robert, just for those of you who think that everybody's got their mind made up, first of all, uh, he's I'm only hearing Becky's friend side of things, but he sounds to me like a guy I would also not have wanted my friend to date. If it all just made her sad all the time, yeah. I'd be like, he's a jerk. Maybe he'll grow out of this, but like it doesn't make him yeah. a murderer. But I'm not like loving Robert through all of this at all. And the fact that if he said another right. guy was going to be there, it might be a Marine and we have zero Evidence of that other than him saying that, I maintain that that is not a good look for him. It does not mean I think he yeah. killed anyone. But to in fairness to looking at all suspects equally, like, that's not good. And I'm sorry, but I do not, I can't accept that that could have been Javi and he just misunderstood and thought that it was a Marine because they knew each other. Yeah. Well, well he, so he take never that, said Bob. That she said Why it. am I fighting yeah. you? <laughs> How dare you, so Bob? aggressive. <laughs> uh, I can't no, put those two together. No, Rob- that's all I'm saying. Right. Now, now, to be clear, Robert never said that she said it was a Marine. He just said she said there's going to be another guy there. Oh, and see. he said, I don't know, maybe it was one of those. And they asked, they said, did oh, she tell okay. He said, well, no, she didn't say who it was. She just said somebody else was going to be there. Well, and Javi, said, again, makes no mention of there being a Marine there or anybody there. Right. And says he doesn't even know who it would be. Right. Right. Like, they, they ask him, well, who would it be? How do you know he lives there? How do you know he lives? I don't. Right. I don't know that he lives there. I don't know that he lives wherever. Like, right. He doesn't even have knowledge of this so-called yeah. marine, and that's the only reason I brought that brought that in is because the one, according to him, mm-hmm. the one other guy that was supposed to be there was him. Yeah, that was supposed to be there. But I get what Janet's saying too—that it was like, why would she just say another guy and not say Javier's going to be there? Yeah, um, and I don't know. And maybe that's maybe they don't connect at all. But it was just for me. It was like, oh wait, I guess again I need to re-listen to it because I remember when I was listening to the interview, I'm like, oh, that, well, there it is. The whole like the, you know. Robert says she said there's another guy. A guy is going to be there, and then Javier's like, "Yeah, I was going to be there. I was going to go." And then she said, "Never mind, don't go." Yeah. So like, oh, he was the other guy that was going to be there. But right, but we that can't. Really yeah. Point and you yelled at me, and then made me feel bad about myself. I'm 
first of all, you're welcome, everyone. Second of all, it's possible <laughs> that, you know, it's also possible that, you know, again, like when we when we revisit everything with Robert, which I know is going to happen in great, great detail because obviously he's in prison. But, um, you know, I mean, he has he has reasons to say things that aren't 100 percent true either, just like Javi does. And what the right. motivation for that is, we have no idea. Um you know, so I, I kind of don't I can't really trust what he says about what that conversation was, because I'm sure it's really uncomfortable if it did get emotional. Like, yeah, I want to tell a cop about how emotional God and how he's kind of strung her along. And then maybe he was going to go. And then he kind of told her, like, pulled this power trip where he was like, oh, actually, it's not a good idea. Sorry, I'm going to let you down on this one. Like, he might have right. looked really bad in that scenario. And the last thing you want to mm-hmm. do is look bad when someone's looking at you potentially for a murder. Right. Or just in general, you don't want them to know that you were being a jerk. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, even if it wasn't a murder. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, uh, Rebecca says, is there anyone else in the case file that talks about Javi's relationship with Becky? Uh, yeah, we're going to we're, we're going to when we get into. So, again, we're going to do our Mr. Christian's interview. We're going to break down some more about the uh, the drive test because there's even uh, one of our listeners who is Andrew, who is a retired Riverside County Sheriff, I believe, who's in the area, did a drive test for us mm-hmm. um, at 945 at night. Um, and, and, um, he went a different route. I'll talk about all this on Sunday, but he went a different route. He went, instead of going up 111, um, he went straight out to the highway to 10 and cut up that way. And he made the drive in just under 36 minutes showing that, it, and there's a video I'm going to be putting on, it'll be on the YouTube um, page. Just, it's a silent video, but it's a video of him making, uh, making that drive so you can see it. So that, uh, but anyway, I don't know where I was going with that, but anyway, that's going to be part of what you're going to hear on Sunday. But then eventually, once we come back to the rest of these suspects, we have interviews with Corey Donovan and Nick Crum and Nick Corline and all these things. And you're going to hear a lot more about the uh, the relationship between Becky and Javier. Definitely. OK, great. And then um, those being sort of past tense interviews uh, brings us to our last question from Sandy, which is, are you doing any interviews like current new ones in which you talk to people? It feels like there's so much more to learn about all the parties you've presented. Uh, how's it going on reaching some to more of them and seeing if any of them yeah. will tell us their stories? Yeah, matter of fact, you're going to hear one, some of one this weekend. Um, but a lot of it is, is still trying. There, there's so many elements and angles to this case that we're still trying. Usually the process is, right, so we investigate the investigation and we get all the information from the original investigation and we gather all that up and get an idea of what we're looking at. And then that gives us a direction. Where do we go from here? Then we move into the new investigation and talk to new witnesses. This is just, you know, three victims, two convicted, so many different. There, it's like we're still trying to get all the information from the original investigation out. It's taken a long time. But yeah, there's going to be some, and I do have an interview you're going to hear uh, this weekend. Uh, so make sure you tune in on Sunday, and and we're already super long. So with that, I think we will bid you all adieu. Thanks, everybody, on the YouTube. Thank you guys for tuning in and listening. And we'll catch you next week. Thanks, everybody. Bye, guys. Ahoy. NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Edited by Kelly Barron's Brink and all music for the show was created by PutThemInASong.com Our follow-up logo was created by me and all of our font across all of our logos and banners were created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. Thank you to Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website. TruthAndJusticePod.com 
where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. And a big thank you to our transcription team, Pamela Westby, Kathy McElhaney, Kay Woodyomnick, Ginger Viola, Erica Cantor, Danielle Rohr, Jennifer Ford, Courtney Wimberly, and Melissa Cardenas. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in several ways. To financially support the show, the best thing you can do is just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You'll not only be supporting the show, but you'll get something in return. On Patreon, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels. For just $5 a month, you get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes and behind-the-scenes bonus video content every week. Then other reward levels include t-shirts, hats, and even the opportunity to co-host one of our Friday follow-up episodes. Just go to patreon.com slash truthandjustice. You can also do us a huge favor by going to iTunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review. And lastly, you can always support us by supporting the brands that sponsor this program. If you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons, you can submit your cases on our website, truthandjusticepod.com. Just click on the case submission button and fill out the form. And the most important thing that you can do is to engage in our investigations. You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page on Facebook. And for all you tweeters out there, you can connect with us on Twitter at truthjusticepod. Follow our personal accounts on social media. I can be found in all forms at Bob Ruff Truth. Janet can be found at Janet Varney. And Zach is at Z to the Q. And don't forget that we always have our 24 7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269 224 2833. However, you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. As for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. I'm Zach Weaver. And I'm Janet Varney. And this has been Truth and Justice. Ahoy, Zach, how are you? Uh, ahoy. Ahoy, goddamn it. No, don't encourage him with this ahoy bullshit. This bullshit. This, this bullshit. This bullshit. <laughs> this bullshit. Ahoy. Who, hey, everybody in the chat, who thinks I should say ahoy? Ahoy. 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 Hello, friends. I would like to say ahoy, but I've, I've been chastised. <laughs> Why would you want to say ahoy? Because it's beautiful. <laughs> you don't have an eye patch. I'm trying to brand. As a pirate? We could do a thing here. We could be the first. We're a nautical podcast. We are a nautical themed podcast. How many times do I have to tell you? <laughs> I'm fine now. Oh. I just caught COVID. That's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. Spot on.